welcome back to Country and Origin. We are really excited about today's guest. Uh, we are joined by Mike Zwingman, who has become a very dear friend of mine uh, that I have the opportunity to work with on a day-to-day basis. Um, he is an agronomist. So, Mike, I'm going to give you just a quick minute. Um, would you mind introducing yourself uh, for our listeners? Yeah, uh, thanks to the both of you. I, I kind of figure out how to introduce myself. Is it the way I introduce myself in some group meetings? So I introduce <laughs> myself at work. Um, but, you know, I'm just, I think I'll go with what my Twitter handle says, right? Like, I'm a dad, I'm sober, I'm an agronomist, right? Like, and I just want um, the world to have more empathy, right? Like, I've, I've mm-hmm. been in the agriculture industry my entire life. I live in Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, city of 265,000 people. And, like, I straddle that urban-rural line, right? Like, I have one foot in each each world every day. Which fits perfectly with what we talk about a lot uh, on our podcast. And so uh, we've got a lot of questions for you today, Mike, around uh, several different kind of areas. We want to talk about sustainability, um, what's real, what's hype, uh, we want to talk about, we'll probably talk about politics as is um, inevitable often uh, in our values, some of those values that intersect uh, when you live in both urban and rural. And I just wanted to say the reason um, that I think I was so drawn to become your friend in the first place and also why we wanted to have you on the podcast is because we are huge fans of, uh, you know, of you and how you show up on social media. And I think also... It was the first time I'd ever worked with someone who was an agronomist in a very ultra-conservative, male-dominated industry that is also incredibly outspoken about progressive values and not afraid to call people on their bullshit sometimes. So um, we're super excited to have you. Yeah, Caroline, you almost sound like you're trying to make this too professional right now. I know, I'm sorry. It's hard because I work with Mike. I know you Mike. work with Mike, but you need to turn that turn that work voice off and, you know. I said bullshit. She has, <laughs> never, <laughs> she has, she has never said that in a group larger than her and I in a work interaction in the entire time we've worked together. <laughs> she has said that. Almost every day when it's just her and I. So that's a but, it's de- like definitely. She's, she has said it to me, but she hasn't like when we're on a call with other people, like she is definitely the professional one. I mean, you guys see me on video now. I'm dressed the same way on Saturday as I was on Wednesday, like hooded jeans and a hoodie. Like that's how I roll. Uh, we were on a, a call with a bunch of people the other day and they're all all wearing not really nice shirts and I got my best polo on and all I could think of is like, I'm the guy that came to a wedding dressed in cargo shorts and a polo shirt. No, we right. invited you because you're the agronomist. You you do the real work and yes. uh, that was why you were invited. But, but I agree with Blaze, loosen up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, thanks Mike. I think that Mike and I are going to get along just fine, Caroline. We'll you take are. it, we'll I'm take gonna it from you, here. I'm going to let you steer this ship. Um, so... Uh, one big question, uh, Mike, is in your own words, what the hell is an agronomist anyway? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell an origin story, right? To kind of lead you there. When I was eight years old, eight, nine years old, uh, 
I was astounded by the agronomist in my hometown, right? Like, mm-hmm. he worked for the co-op. This is back when people smoked in, in elevator offices and fertilizer offices all across the country. But he'd, he'd sit at his desk. All these farmers would come in. He'd hold court as, like, kind of being the, 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 the sage, wise <laughs> man of the community about all sorts of topics, right? So at nine years old, I'm like, I want to be an agronomist. Then when I got to be about 17 or 18, Land O'Lakes had a um, poster for to, for agronomists with this dude with a beard, all muddy, standing with a shovel in the middle of a driveway of a muddy cornfield with the sun going down behind him, his pickup turned half cockways in the driveway covered in mud. And I'm like... Not only are they wise, they're cool, right? Like, <laughs> and I really, like, I didn't have any other discernible skills, so, but I knew about corn and soybeans, <laughs> so I just went to school, and what I've learned is we're, we are a study of all the sciences, mm. physics, chemistry, biology, entomology, plant pathology, all those things. And we just help the farmers, and Caroline's heard me say this, put a organism inside of a biological system, inside of a biological system, where you have very little control, so you just manage what you can manage. And and so, so we are that wise, sage person, because we take all the experience of all the farmers we work with to try to make all the farmers we work with better. Mm. Did you, did you grow up in Nebraska? Yep. I grew up in a little town in Northeast Nebraska called Tilden, where our two claims to fame are, (laughs) we're the birthplace of uh, hall of famer, Richie Ashburn, who played for the Phillies. And we're also the birthplace of L Ron Hubbard. Of of who? L. Ron Hubbard, the father of Scientology. Oh, okay. I thought I recognized the name. The father of Scientology. I could I could take you to the house he was born in. I had no idea who either of these two individuals were. I had heard like I I didn't recognize <laughs> and I'd heard the name of Hubbard before, but I could not remember. I couldn't remember like who he was. So neither of them are as well and widely known as Superman, which is my hometown. Well, which one? (laughs) Metropolis. We can't all be from places like Metropolis. True. Oh, I thought you meant Superman, one of the characters. I didn't, you know, one of the people played Superman, not just Metropolis. No, we are the home of of all the Supermen. You're you're not. It'd be cooler if, like, Christopher, (laughs) you're from the birthplace of Christopher Reeve. Yeah, exactly. You hush your mouth, Mike. (laughs) No, no, no. Caroline's really proud of the fictional person. The 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 fictional town. The fictional town that she, you know. In Metropolis, it looks just like it does in the comic books. It's a big, you know, it's like Gotham City. Yeah. Mike, this before we jumped on this call, you were telling us you had a pretty interesting morning, and I know you know you're a very active girl dad. Can you share what you know what you're uh, you're just coming off of as far as some of your various intriguing hobbies? Uh, yeah, so join us today. So it's my daughter's twelfth, my younger youngest daughter's twelfth birthday today, and uh, 
So we we did what she wanted to do. We woke up and we got Casey's pizza and chocolate milk. Then we went to the gun range where she <laughs> claimed she outshot me today, which <clears throat> is partially true. And she's just as competitive as I am. And then we went to the archery range where I, once again, was getting competitive, got mad at my bow. And so I did the best thing I could think of instead of practice more. I just bought a new bow. Yeah. Very exciting. <clears throat> no, that's sad. well, back to really quick on the gun range thing. What is was she, what was she was she shooting a rifle or a handgun or what was uh, the 22 a 22 rifle. 22 rifle. That's what y'all were competing yep. against each other with. Yep. Were you also shooting a 22 rifle? Yep. She mm-hmm. got to shoot off a rest. I had to shoot freehand. That's <clears throat> so she did shoot really well. And uh I need to get my eyes checked. At 20 yards, things were getting a little blurry with open, <laughs> with open sights. But, but she's like, she gets done and she's like, just so you know, I won. And I'm like, sure, it's your birthday. You won. Yeah. Right? Like, but it, it's, my two daughters are way different, right? Like, this one is just like me, like in every way. Sarcastic like adventurous she's wearing a shirt today that says is my skate up that written upside down it says is my skateboard okay because <laughs> she's broken her arm on her skateboard in two places in the last year um <clears throat> and it doesn't seem like this afternoon she's going with her mom and her sister and they're going to the skate park and she's gonna shred all afternoon so like she's a very active competitive person yeah like she She's going to be a handful. Yeah. <laughs> and your other daughter is a, has a different personality. Much more mild-mannered. Uh, reads about six books a month. Wow. Right? Like, she's burned through, she's burned through half the Harry Potter season, series since Christmas. Mm. Like, just... That's amazing. And, and just, mild, like, in show choir, in band, in jazz band, all the nerd stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but she's, and, and she's passionate about it, right? Like last night we had a conversation. She's like, for her show choir, she's like, I don't want to try out for the solo. And I'm like, why? And she she goes, well, what if I screwed up? And I'm like, well, the person sitting in the audience who's not in jazz or show choir or doing the solo didn't have the guts to even try. So I'd rather see you try and fail than sit in the sit in the stands and not try mm. you know and they're great kids way I, better like way better than i was at that age i think you you called your uh older daughter's activities a bunch of nerd stuff i i feel like it you know it's kind of the pot calling the kettle black a little bit for an agronomy geek such as yourself to call N- that nerd stuff nerd <laughs> is not a derogatory term <laughs> Yeah, like, Caroline. Right. Like, let's list the stuff I'm nerdy about. Marvel, the MCU, I mean, Star Wars. Right. Agronomy. Mm-hmm. Motorcycles. Um, firearms. You know. And, and trolling, trolling people on Twitter, which has been my favorite thing to see you do. In a good way. You know, I mean that in a good way. I struggle with that spiritually. 
not like it. It, it shouldn't be so easy. <laughs> <laughs> but you you don't. Do, I like it because you you don't. Uh, to me, I don't see all of it. Um, I'm not on Twitter as much as probably Caroline. But when I've seen you tweet uh, or reply to people, it's usually not with like any. It's just a fact. It's just a statement. Like. Uh, one I saw recently, someone made a, an accusation. They shared a picture, and you were like, "This picture was actually from this event, <laughs> not this event." <laughs> it's just like, I mean, that's it. I mean, there's no, it. You know, I mean, I, I, I it's almost, I almost see like an, almost like you're, uh, just like you are probably are as an agronomist with a farmer. Like you're like, look, it is what it is. <laughs> Here's the fact. <laughs> well, and, and the problem with if you look at my interaction on Twitter in the last year right like people would think matter of fact this brought one of the first conversations caroline and i had right like people think i'm more liberal than i actually am right like i'm my friends would describe me you get the two you on the the two you've heard about would describe me as the kind of guy that i really don't care as long as you're not bothering me with it yeah like I, I'm probably as much libertarian as every as anything, but what I definitely am is anti-fascist. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's like that's a good thing to be. I, I think one time but, Caroline told me you said something. I was laughing so hard about, but you were like, "If I need to finish the job my grandfather started, or something like that," and I was laughing so hard about it. Was that. Back yeah, during, like, it was my, back during Black Lives Matter um, protests, and I think you have made a comment about like if I have to drive downtown and punch a Nazi in the face, I'll do that and finish the job my grandfather started. I'm paraphrasing. That's a, like, people are misquoting Orwell all the time right now, right? Yeah. Like, like, if, like, Orwell is, said everybody should kill one fascist. (laughs) And then he went to Spain and spent the rest of his life lobbing hand grenades at fascists. Right, and, and, and like, there's a certain amount of commitment to that, right? <laughs> yeah, there is. Um, like, he didn't just say, kill a fascist, and that's the statement. No, he said it, and he went and did it. <laughs> um, and, and we blur the law. So this, like, the, the Black Lives Matter protests this summer, right? Like, there's a fine line where... People think if you support the protest, you supported the burning of buildings, the, the the damages and all that. And that's not like people don't understand the nuances of supporting a cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so they think you're either all in or all out. Mm-hmm. Like you can be against buildings burning in cities like Minneapolis, Dallas, you know, downtown Lincoln, Nebraska, and you can still say that there's inequity in the world that we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's the stuff I want to troll on Twitter, right? Is that the, the, the idea that people don't believe there's inequity in the world. That's, if you watch what I really troll, that's what I troll. Like I poke at that white that 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 throne of white privilege we sit at. Yes. yes. 
And I was listening to NPR yesterday. Um, As most agronomists do. Dude, I like NPR's got the best interviews in the world. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. But there, and I can't remember who the activist was that was part of the Black Lives Matter movement. But he, what he talked about is you can vocally support a cause, but the difference between most people is they, they stop there and they don't live it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he says the most important thing is acknowledging when you are not acting in the way you want to be in the in a direction of the world you want to see mm-hmm. right like i've said a lot of times like empathy is a lost art in this country and that's sometimes you have to throw some punches so you can get back to empathy yeah mm. well or or create a space where you can even 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 provide that sort of empathy if, if if it's being drowned out by the shouts, you know, of racism and everything else. I one of the things that we so for us one of the reasons we even wanted to have this podcast to begin with is we always felt like Caroline and I that we were as the world was getting more polarized, we felt like we were stuck in in we were in two different camps at a lot of times and 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 neither camp both camps were shocked that we had any connection to the other right mm-hmm. so so right. we would be going to church with or friends in our neighborhood with folks that were very progressive and it was almost like they were shocked that we had empathy or connection to voices from what they you know the chasm on the or the you know across the way and then vice versa we would have friends there that are like um you know I, I, how can you even how can you even be and, and it sounds very similar to what you're saying like you know, you can have things are complex. Issues are complex. You can have multiple views on many things, and so. And I think when Caroline was saying, "Hey, we need to um, have Mike on the podcast," I think what she what she was telling me was, you know, there are probably people in our lives right now, especially here in Indianapolis, where we live in the city, um, that are very progressive, and they don't think it's possible for a person to be a gun enthusiast and still at the same time voluntarily bring up the concept of right privilege on a on a podcast. They just don't think that person exists. They think if you're a gun enthusiast, you cannot you cannot believe in in uh, that that the world's, you know, needs more equity or or it's, or, or it's very unlikely. Yeah, I shouldn't say they don't think it, it's impossible to exist, but they've never met anybody like that and, and they don't know who they, what they would be. So we always try to find people that that kind of shake the stereotype I guess I should say or blend blend multiple views into a thing and so that's you know the fact that you mentioned that and that you listen to NPR but at the same time bought a new bow because you took your daughter to the archery range and had a sh- and were shooting 22 like they people it's like weird but in our little bubble sometimes I think they don't think that a person like you exists well and to Mike's point I think on the you know on the rural countryside um, perspective you know, they assume whenever Mike pushes back and says, you know, you can acknowledge that we have white privilege, that there's an equity in this country that needs to be addressed. Oh, well, you're obviously a socialist then. You're obviously like you love the Green New Deal. You're a socialist. You want to take my guns away. And like, that's not that's not true either. And I did realize as we were kind of talking about this and then I know we we really want to um, ask some questions around sustainability, but you know, for, for people who are unaware, um, this isn't just us inviting um, Mike on to talk about, like, how cool his social media activity is. There is a... Uh, Which it's not. It is. It <laughs> is. 
But there's a subculture on Twitter of, that is called Ag Twitter that I think most people probably have no idea existed. And it is it is small but loud, at least in, in our lives, because of the lines of work we're all in. Um, but basically, it's, it's a bunch of, like, farmers and industry people that are on Twitter. And that is primarily the audience where, you know, we first noticed Mike being this... I would call it a force for good in um, pushing back and having accountability for some of the claims that are made. And we want to talk about that later. But I think, you know, Blaze, you touched on that this morning that we often we, we, we all work in ag. Um, we come from small towns, rural America. We live urban now. We've got friends in both places and in low places. Um, but really like we talk a lot about like the culture of rural America and this whole like polarizing line that we are straddling right now on this podcast a lot. So Mike, as you'll find, it's hard to get a word in edgewise. We have people on and then we just, you know, we have so many ideas. Anyway, we didn't want to talk about one thing that I don't want to lose track of. And that was, um, so there's a lot of like ag podcasts and ag business and the science and all that stuff. We're Caroline and I have really been interested in like the culture like the culture of the ag industry, right? In the American ag, the American ag industry. And so I was curious from your, you, you have a science background um, and you're, you know, you're, you give scientific based advice to farmers. So I'm curious. So we have friends in our neighborhood uh, and, and people where we, around where we live. They, I don't know if you're supposed to say hipster anymore, but that's what they would call it. It was like a hipster culture. And they're very concerned about the food that they eat. And, and every now and then we hear some like kind of out, outlandish things. Um, in your view, like what's what's some of the stuff out there that you're like, you know, what's fact from myth? Like, yeah, this is a thing we should be concerned about as a society. And then, oh, there's a this is a thing people talk about all the time that really there's no basis in science at all. Man, that's a heavy question. Two, I know. Those are that's a crazy Venn diagram right there. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'll start. I, th- I think I'll start with the things that aren't based in science, right? Yeah. Uh, the non-GMO project. Let's just get it out there. Mm. That that is a marketing scam of all marketing scams, right? Like because they're playing like they're playing on the fear of people. And, and here's the thing. And I think this is what we have to reach when we're talking about some of these divides to begin with. Most every mother wants the exact same thing for their kids. Mm -hmm. And that is for them to be healthy and happy. Mm -hmm. Now, how you get to that is that's where the divide comes from, right? And, and so you get kind of the the new age mothers or whatever the groups of that follow certain people on influences on social media and and as much as we talked about social media I, I think watching after watching social dilemma it didn't tell me anything I didn't know but like this is the epicenter of all mis- misinformation and then the non-gmo project comes along and labels foods that there's no GMO option for to put it, differentiate it in a category. And I'll use an example. One day, my youngest daughter, Briley, and I were in high V, and we're standing behind a guy who had, you know, a Sue Monsanto anti-GMO shirt on, and he was carrying kale. 
and I look, and I'm standing behind him, and and I don't know if you think I get snarky on Twitter, I really get snarky <laughs> in person. And and I said, Briley, have you, do you know what an oxymoron is? And she goes, Nope. I go, That it's a contradiction in terms, and that gentleman in front of us is a walking contradiction in terms. And she goes, How do you know? I go, he's talking about wearing a shirt that says no GMOs, holding a plant that didn't exist 20 years ago. It's not directly genetically modified as we think about it, right? But was selectively bred to be kale instead of part of the mustard family. Yes. So it was engineered. Yes. And that's the, like, people just aren't aware of how, like, my, the two friends that I had, that the, 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 you guys have heard of, when we talked about insulin, right? Mm-hmm. Our, the, by a lot, or bacteria-driven insulin, right? Bacteria-derived insulin is way more better for us than any insulin we've had before because we can control the genetic copies of it so much better that there's less negative reaction with diabetics in it. And, and bacteria is like easy. Bacteria is an easy thing to grow. So when you think about it, insulin should be dirt cheap. There was a time where they are talking about making corn that could pr- produce insulin. I want in on that game. Cause yeah. I'll, like, give me 500 acres of Nebraska farm ground and I'll turn out insulin like nobody's business. <laughs> Right. So what when we talk about GMOs, we always talk about the downside. We never talk about the upside. Yes. We never mm-hmm. talk about vitamin A rice and how like that's helping millions of people in third world countries. Mm-hmm. Or how Oh, this is going to get deep here. Drought tolerant crops aren't really like they're suited for spots in the United States. But where they're really going to help the whole food equation is like South Africa and subs, you know, you know, almost like moderately arid climates. Mm -hmm. And the way you're going to get to that is by educating the women on their benefit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because that's how in developing country, that's how real change comes about. Yes. Because they're not only the lead that like, they're not only the provider for the family unit, they're normally the labor force, right? So if you start to show them how this betters their life at home, and then all of a sudden the man, the man of the house realizes he's eating better, his house is cleaner, all those other things, all of a sudden it's a brilliant idea, right? Mm-hmm. And it's in, in educating women in third world countries on educating women in general on these things are is important because that that's the influence of the buyer and it's also where the biggest gap in science illiteracy has been for the last 30 years I, right? you know, I and so just, like yeah. those things have consequences so, like reducing stem offerings to young girls have consequences to misinformation when they are moms I, you know, actually talking about the GMO thing, you brought up something that's, so I, I've worked in, in sub-Saharan Africa before, 
And I was shocked because those countries were, would, would not use GMO. They were, great, they were growing corn. I mean, there's, there could be some debate on whether or not they should have been growing that in the first place. But they were growing corn, uh, field corn, uh, but they were consuming it in their households. But they were not growing GMO uh, corn because their countries had banned it. And it was because of their connection to Europe. And, you know, it's like complex, right? So it's like, why right. did, why did, why was, why is uh, Europe so concerned, especially like Britain? It's like, well, they, my understanding is like their, the, their ag system is not competitive in a, in a GMO market. So they've got this, you know, campaign, part of it's this camp anti-GMO campaign. But anyway, it was weird because in like these countries in sub-Saharan Africa were like totally food insecure, uh, are having meetings about increasing food productivity, but you're not allowed to bring GMO into the equation right. at all. And that's Zero. changed over time, you know, in the last decade. But <clears throat> yeah, and and the, the other thing is, it's a, an example of where capitalism ruined a great humanitarian technology. Like, there's an opportunity with GMOs to do something really great. As a in, as a humanitarian effort, mm-hmm. but it's a lot easier to capitalize it. Well, and I think too, um, you know, affluence <laughs> dictates kind of the the culture, right? And I, so I, I think for those of us that you know can afford or have the option or all you know the choices at the grocery store to purchase something organic, non GMO, you know the the real takeaway is like perpetuating a narrative around something that isn't based in science has real like broad sweeping ramifications because it ends up making making it to other parts of the world where you know people have limited choices and um they feel like because that's what everybody else is is saying that it's true whenever it's really just a marketing ploy as and neil grass tyson will say the beauty the beautiful thing about science it exists whether you believe it or not. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Right. And, and but the problem is, in in practice, science is like socialism. It <laughs> it's only real if it matters to you. Uh, right. Like so socialism true. is only socialism if somebody else is getting the money. Uh huh. I lo- that's a I like I that, that you put that. Yeah. Um. One of the things that this is related. So. You know, the, the the debate about GMOs, right? So we've got people in America right now and in, all over the world, really, that will not, they're very concerned about eating products uh, that come from GMOs. We've seen, you know, there's all kinds of marketing campaigns where things that never have ever had what is considered a modern day GMO. To your point, they've all been genetically modified over time. But, uh, the, you know, you, you see stuff that doesn't have, it's not labeled, it's labeled non-GMO that was never GMO. Um, and you've got all this fear around it. But one of the other ones that we've heard in consumer groups that I think is interesting is like people terrified of Roundup in two different ways. One being like the, like the, you know, the person that's applying Roundup, right? Be it that you're a, uh, you're in lawn care business or whatever, you're a gardener or, or a farmer. And then the other being um, people's fear of consuming something that has had Roundup on it. And you're, as an agronomist, I mean, you may not be able to speak as much to the fear of like that Roundup could do any damage but as an agronomist like the fear of oh this corn was sprayed with Roundup it's dangerous to eat now well and I think maybe make it a little broader beyond just like one product category like even with other like nitrogen you know I guess what we were trying to to really distill down for people who may not have access to an agronomist in their day-to-day life is like 
what's real and what's not real um, as far as what we should be concerned about consuming um, when we make purchases at the grocery store. From... See if I can say that's right. From a uh, from a chemical standpoint, like harshness of chemistry standpoint, food today is safer than it's been in the last half century. Because when I was a kid, like when I was my daughter's age, right? Like we used to wrestle on bags of furidan that had skulls and crossbones on them. <laughs> <clears throat> there are literal, there are literally active ingredients in the catalog of ag chemistry history that if you opened a jug of it in my house and even if i'm not in the same room i would get the shakes because mm-hmm. i've been exposed to it to a certain extent we don't use a lot of those nerve toxins anymore we don't use we don't use a lot of the really harsh chemistries that 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 really put groundwater at risk or other people at risk like today Ortho Home Defense is a perfect example. Okay. Um, people go to Home Depot, buy it all the time, spray it around your house. It's the same active ingredient that's in Frontline for your dog. And it's the same active ingredient that is in Bathroid for corn and soybeans. Hmm. So if it's safe enough to use on your dog safe enough to spray on the baseboard to your house where your kid could lick it and we use it in crops which would actually go through an entire digestive which process gets, which gets metabolized by a plant mm-hmm. and turned into basically carbon mm-hmm. but like that's the kind of chemistries we use today like that that stuff that's fairly innocuous right like the roundup thing I have some definite concerns about glyphosate that in the mid '90s that came from a certain country overseas, mm-hmm. not because of the glyphosate portion, because of all the inert ingredients were probably a bit more risky because of quality control. Um, but those don't exist much in the market anymore either, mm-hmm. and those aren't ending up in the food source, right? Like they, they're not ending up in. In, in, in your tortillas or whatever. Um, so, like, I have more confidence today than I have ever had. And for and for another reason is, this is the common misconception, and Caroline's heard me say this work at all a lot, that we need to not make the assumption that farmers are grossly overdoing anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, they're not over applying any chemi- chemical. They're not over applying any fertilizer, grossly. Now they might miss the mark by a little bit because of weather, but that's just the chaotic nature of the of the, the growing season. But they're not out just to be like, "Wow, I got four hundred extra gallons of atrazine. What should I do with it?" Today? <laughs> right? like, that doesn't cross their mind. Yeah, and and so like sustain, and this is why sustainability is such a tinderbox topic in agriculture right because if if you push too hard on it you're insulting the grower Mm. for telling them they're doing things wrong it should be all about 
you're doing a great job, but how do we do better, right? Because we have some real problems. Safe, dr- fresh water is is the, probably going to be the most limiting resource in the future because we're just going to have water we can't drink. By nobody, and really nobody's fault uh, that's alive. Um, but we we have to get from here to there, mm-hmm. right? And 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 th- like to think agriculture, like agriculture's changed so much. It, I'm my dad's seventy six. So he was born in nineteen forty five. Um, went to Vietnam, came home, started farming in sixty three. So in you know that's almost seventy years or sixty years of of his career. There was a ton of change. Mm-hmm. If you add my grandpa into the list, right? Like astronomical change, and you just take my career. That line that that line is not flattened out. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. In my career, in my lifetime, we have growers growing twice as much corn on half as much nitrogen than they did when my dad was my age. Mm. Right? That's good. So in 30 so so my that's a change in my that's a change in my lifetime, right? Right. And uh, a lot of that has been because of advances in breeding, advances in genetic technology, advances in water management, advances yeah. in st- all all the sciences that I mentioned before, right? Like soil science, biology, everything. Um, but we have we have a long ways to go for sustainability because this whole carbon discussion, like you saw Elon Musk, they're going to throw $100 million out for somebody with a carbon solution. And Ag Twitter's like, I grow corn, I know till I got carbon. <laughs> I haven't said this yet. I'm like, but you know what the biggest element you remove from that field is? Carbon. Like you're not sequestering all the carbon you're creating. How do we how do we bring more carbon into the system mm. and and still remove the carbon we're removing? Right. So can I, you explain that a little more? Yeah. So corn is starch, right? Yeah. Starch is a lot of carbon. So if you're removing 240 bushel corn. Right, like you're removing tons of carbon per acre at a time, and you're replacing roughly forty percent of that with the stover. Like if you look at biomass accumulation, so you're still removing sixty to seventy percent of the carbon that you're yeah. that you're spending the year creating. How do we go from I want to remove the same tons of carbon, but I want to put more carbon in the soil by using things like cover crops? All the like this idea of having a living root system in the mm-hmm. soil all year long is how you bring carbon back to the soil, right? It's how you mineralize carbon back in. One of my best friends works for the Soil Health Partnership, and we talk about this all the time. You know, and four short years ago, we were two co op retail agronomists who our only gig was more, 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 not, not more fertilizer, but like. How do we extract every new bushel out of the out of an acre we can? Mm-hmm. And that's carbon removal. Now both of us are 
in positions where we're looking at how do we save or put more carbon in the soil every year. Mm-hmm. One, um, this is, so we kind of been, we, we do this a lot on our podcast. We, we will sometimes pick on the, you know, the uninformed consumer and, and the hypocrisy there. Like, especially though, not necessarily the average consumer that's just like, I don't know exactly. Cause of course, the, as you said yourself, these systems have like gotten more advanced Things are complex. You can't expect the average consumer to know all this stuff. But um, I think where we like laugh or, or like make fun of is like when people are like, one minute they're like, we've got to look at the science. I cannot believe there's all these science deniers. And then they like make a claim whenever you challenge them on that claim. Like, well, have you looked at the science on this? And then they're, you know, and it happens both ways, right? So, you know, we have people in our that we know that are, oh, I cannot believe people don't look at the science. It's embarrassing. Look at this, you know, if you look at the science in COVID or looking at the science in climate change, but then you bring up GMOs and they're like, no, not, not, you know, they refuse to look at the science. But on the flip side, uh, then we find in sometimes in rural communities, you know, you have uh, farmers or people in rural communities that are like, I wish the consumer would understand the science on GMOs and all this stuff, but then a topic like climate change comes up and they're like, oh, just all made up or even some, co- even some around COVID. So being that you, um, you know, w- w- kind of walk that, walk that line and we've kind of picked on a little bit on some of the, the fallacies around some of the things consumers believe, what's, what's out there that you think, or you find yourself sometimes either having to explain to a grower or maybe just people that live in, in rural communities where you're like having to dispel myths with science on that side? Uh, cl- Climate change is probably the big one, right? And the problem with climate change is there's been some, the other thing about science is you got to watch out for the bad actors, mm. right? And there's been some bad actors on both sides, mm-hmm. right? On the denier side and on the doomsday side. But if you can settle on this simple thing. There's no doubt that our ecosystem is changing, right? And, and whether or not it's cyclical, right? That's mm-hmm. not the point. But the other thing is, and I, I love to talk to people who have, have capital experience when I'm talking about this. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you have pasture, you know you can only run so many cows on it, right? Like, Correct. I can run more cows in Nebraska than I can West Texas. Yeah, mm-hmm. a, that's a fact. <laughs> right? Like, and the reason for that is, is there's only so much carrying capacity. Yep. The world, the, the earth, only has so much carrying capacity before you're putting so much pressure on the system, the system changes. Mm-hmm. And, and we're seeing that. So now how do we reduce the impact of, of humankind on climate change? And, and I don't know. I've read the book Sapiens. Yep. So I've read it too. I like it. It's dark. It's a hard read. <laughs> yes. Right? Like I maybe got I, – I can, I can sit and read for hours, but like that, like I could read 10 or 12 pages and I'd be like, um, I need to go like watch Bugs Bunny and – like eat Captain Crunch <laughs> and, and kind of get my childhood back because it's so it's basically what it boils down to right is humans screwed everything up. Mm. It, it, but the thing is, I think that 
the shared idea of of combating climate change is we all need to consume less. Yeah. Right. And so however that matters or works out, like we need to figure out how everybody just becomes a little bit better at what they do. And we're not, we're not going to turn this off, but let's flatten the line a little bit. Um, I joke around that I have a friend, her name is Kirsten and she's all happy and sunshiny and Skittles and unicorns. <laughs> and she watched, uh, her husband, my best friend, Joel made her watch the, the whole MCU series. And she watched Endgame on New Year's Eve. And afterwards, we were talking about it. And I go, you know, from a mathematical standpoint, Thanos wasn't wrong. I'm not familiar with the end game. Nor am I. So, oh, my God. <laughs> I, know, can't be, I know. I know. Don't judge Caroline, us, we can't be friends anymore. So, Thanos is the bad guy, the villain, right? Right. And he uh-huh. gets the gauntlet with the five infinity stones. And when he snaps his finger, half, half the entire of all the galaxy's populations go away. Because Thanos lived on a world where they can, like, they consumed the Earth, his his world, to nothing, and he lost it. He lost everything. Lost his family. So he went on this journey to never let that happen again. So he snaps his finger, and half the half the population goes away. Well, the end game is about how the Avengers fix that, but from a mathematical standpoint, Thanos wasn't wrong. <laughs> The problem is there's a more there's a huge moral dilemma there, right? And the, and all these complicate all these things get complicated by the moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. Because there are people who can't do go as far as we some of us can go in reducing their impact as others because of affluence. Mm. Like, everybody having an electric car would be great, except 75% of the population can't, can't afford a new car now. How are they going to afford a new electric car? Right. Yeah. Like, none of these solutions are linear. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, when you have, um, and you said, you said that this was probably the climate change discussion is probably the one where... It's probably the most prevalent in terms of like in rural communities or working with growers that you you see some like don't want I don't want to look at the science or I disagree with the science or that kind of thing or or just the 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 marketing machine the news media out there is just convince them it's not it's not a thing that they have any it's not real. I mean, the marketing machine is like all the big companies have gotten behind it, right? Yeah. I, I will say the big thing is at this point. Climate change has helped agriculture. We're getting longer growing seasons. Mm. It's increasing yields. It's dry. It's behind. It's some of the behind some of the profitability. If we all of a sudden got three, some extreme years of crop damage in a row, and things would start to pinch, it would get more real. Mm. It's kind of not unlike COVID. I think for a lot of people, it's not real until it until affects it hits me. you. Yeah. Yep. yep. 
Yeah, it's funny you bring up the amount of help. I was reading something about in Russia too, like there's air, growing areas of big swaths of land in Russia that you know they're predicting in 20 years may be much more viable or have longer growing seasons and all this stuff. In the United States, we're really pushing growing seasons north. Mm. Like here in Nebraska, we're probably 20 days longer than we were 30 years ago. Yeah. It's wild. It's, um, no, that's, that's wild. What, uh, I did have another, this is, this is kind of unrelated to the topic around sustainability, but more so just about what we talked about earlier, you know, you being a scientist, watching NPR, going to the gun range, like just, uh, the, the mixture of like how I think in today's world, we want to, we want to pigeonhole people. We want to say, oh, we know this one thing about them. So we know who they are. Mike Zwingman is many things. Yes. So I wanted to ask you, this is kind of like a game that we do. I, I, I work with students, so we do this a lot when we talk about who they are, identity, and it's kind of fun, actually. Or at least I think it is. It's kind of nerdy. But <laughs> we have them do these statements where they say things like either I may be this, but I'm not this, or sometimes um, people assume that I'm this, but I'm actually this. And I was curious is if in your, you know, maybe it's more recent, but in your, in your line of work, in your career, have you found like those kind of assumptions or things that people, you know, they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know just by seeing you give a presentation or whatever, or they might assume the wrong thing. So one of those, like people probably assume this, but it's actually this for me. If people probably assume I'm a, that lately that I'm a, you know, full blown communist <laughs> um, or socialist when really I'm a, fiscally conservative person who is socially progressive right like i want everybody to have the same opportunity to happiness and misery that i have right like it's like equal like we have too many people where we think they should just have misery yeah Mm. yeah that's true yeah, or that it's like a zero-sum game. Like, yeah, if, like that I can't be happy unless they're miserable. And you're taking my... To- like, if I give you this, you're taking something from me. But how do we pay for it? The crazy is some of these things we don't have to pay for. <laughs> we just have to start treating people better. Yeah, that is true. We uh, This is a political, but I thought it was super interesting that um, we were watching the inauguration, and in some part of the night... Um, Joe Biden had to swear in his White House staff, which I didn't even know. I didn't ever watch that before, so I don't know. I didn't even know they did that. But they had them all on, and maybe it's because of the virtual world we live in, but they had all of his White House staff on Zoom, and they, they filmed him. They, they recorded him swearing them in, like on, you know, whatever we were watching, CNN or whatever. And, and one of the things he gave this speech to them, and one of the things he said was, I want our White House staff to, and it was like a several hundred White House staff, you know. They're getting sworn in the first day. And he says, we're going to treat people with decency, um, and he like gave this speech about how, you know, if if you may not dis- you may disagree with people or they may not see things the way you are, but you are going to treat them with respect. And then he said a very dramatic line, and he like turned to them all and he said, "I want you all to hear this really clearly." He said, "If I catch any of you on this call treating someone with disrespect, you're fired on the spot." <laughs> and I was like, "That's a I kind of like I mean, but part of it was like we're trying to change this tone anyway. I don't it was know. Like getting a, it was I kind of like got inspired a, a little bit. A lecture from Granddad. Yeah, I was telling Carol, <laughs> I was like, this is like when this is like a, a like he, the way you know he's old anyway. It was like a grandfather figure, you know, being like, 
Look, I don't care how smart smart you think you are, smart pants, but you're not going to disrespect people, you know. He's old, but he also rides his Peloton like, you know, 200 miles a week, oh right? My like, gosh. I haven't ri- I haven't ridden an exercise bike 200 miles in a decade, <laughs> right? Like, Joe I had Biden, no idea Joe Biden rode the Peloton. Now yeah, I have to that, find him. That's the big thing that they're worried about cybersecurity with his Peloton. Oh my gosh! In the morning, him and Jill decide who get to ride it. Every day. They're just, we're like the Bidens. This is, we have the same problems. Don't you feel like our government is so I don't think we have now? the same problems, Caroline, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't, <laughs> they have like armed troops around their house right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Joe Biden would trade your problems for his <laughs> right almost any day. Yeah. Uh, but, but, know, it, but, but they didn't have the donut Caroline wanted today. I mean, that was pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the donut she wanted at the donut shop I went right. to today. It's, it's hard. First world problems. You know, when I, my thoughts and prayers to you and your donut issue. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I you hope know, you make it through this tough time. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I would say in the last 13 years, my outlook on life, I, I used to be black and white mm. one way. I was probably a lot more conservative than I was. I definitely was a lot more disrespectful to different groups of people than I was today. And in the last 13 years, I've learned that inside, we're all dealing with the same stuff. And... I try not to judge people anymore on one, like one snapshot of their life and, and, and try to look at the whole thing. And and that's also how we get to this decency thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. this whole, whole gap. I think we want, and and this is a product of COVID and social media, right? We have lost connection with other human beings. Yep. Totally Um, agree. When I'm, if I were sitting in the room with you two, you would say things that speak directly to my heart. When I'm sitting across a computer screen and thousand miles, I can say the exact same thing, or you can say the exact same thing to me, and my brain processes it, and I judge it before it gets to my soul. Mm. And that lack of human connection I think is ha- is one of the re- one of the ha- ways we fix all this like what I would love to do is grab a bunch of people from the city from city Lincoln take them out to the country right like and just get weird for a week <laughs> right yeah. like just go experience all the stuff and then the next week grab a bunch of people from the rural community and drive them around and not just show like when people come to Lincoln, they come for football games, volleyball games, shopping, but go like go take them to where mm-hmm. people are hurting. Mm-hmm. My daughters went to an elementary school that isn't a pretty decent neighbor neighborhood, but had the highest per capita number of kids in the backpack program, the weekend food program of any school in Lincoln. 
because it was a lot of single mothers, mm. right? And everybody needs to see both those things. Yes. What What do you think? And you said in the last thirteen years, it's made a change. What happened? What trigger was it? Was it that you had children? What What do you think it was for you that, like? Or is it just you think it's natural because people get older, they get wiser, or what? But why why was the change? Um, in March of 2008, I decided to get sober. And it was after, it was between the two kids. It was after a couple failed suicide attempts. And that moment of understanding what's being bankrupt emotionally and spiritually was. Mm. Um, and today, like, I was just talking with Briley while we are in the truck, like, life itself is a spiritual experience. Like, every moment. Um, and, you know, what, it, what that's taught me is, like, I go to regular gatherings with people that their stories like my story was bad enough but to see some of them where they were and where they are like some of the guys I sponsor like you just see beautiful things happen in people's lives mm. and when you see that it it's hard to believe the work the world is as dark as it is mm. right like we see the darkness because we're not looking for the light. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we're not, like, I, I think I told Caroline this the other day. She, I, like, go look for the beautiful stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, go outside and, 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 and as Mr. Rogers said, always look for the helpers. Look for the helpers, mm-hmm. yeah. Right? And that's been the big change, right? Like, I know that everybody's redeemable. Right, like everybody has, uh, you know. I believe in second chances. I believe in third chances. I believe that, um, everything can change. Uh, I, you know, my dad's had a stroke. I, Caroline knows this, but my dad's had a stroke this summer, and my parents both dealt dealt with COVID. My dad's been in the hospital. He's home, been home for ten days now, but. Um, the gifts I've been given because I've changed that outlook on life, I wouldn't trade for anything. Mm-hmm. Like when my dad had a stroke, my mom asked, why are you so calm? And I said, well, whatever happens, we're all going to be okay. And I know the last 12 years of my life with my dad has been the best 12 I've had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's, I don't want anybody to go through the pain I went through to get there. Right. But I, I think, Applying those principles of of tolerance, love, and understanding to everybody, and it's why I said, tro- like, trolling on social media is a spiritual dilemma for me. Mm. Because when I'm doing that, I'm not practicing that tolerance, love, and understanding. Right? Like, I'm not trying to get to why you feel that way. Yeah, I'm just taking a shot at the fact that you feel that way. And um, that's like, I have to watch that, right? Like I have to, because I went off Twitter for almost a month because I was like before the, like 
running up to the elections, I was in a dark place. Like I was like I was going I was no longer trolling. I was actively hunting for opportunities to take shots at people. Yeah. And and so I think I think that's how we this urban rural divide, right? Like that's how we get to it. We have to understand the shared problems mm. that the rural and urban rural and urban communities have Mm -hmm. and they're the same right like education's getting tougher in rural schools it's tough in it's tough in urban schools right like all these things are are now parallel problems or shared problems put all the other stuff aside and let's let's solve some of those shared problems that are easy and get some momentum yeah. and some inertia working mm-hmm. into the big stuff. Yeah. I think you're right. And I, I mean, in so many of the shared problems, like, that's what's sad about the... That, that's what we've got to overcome, I think, in the state of our, of our country and uh, as citizens, is we're letting a handful of things divide us when overwhelming majority of us probably agree on most things. Like you said earlier, you know, every mother really really just wants to, to give their kids a good life and wants to see them be healthy and thrive. Mm-hmm. And there are disagreements on maybe, you know, how that should be done. But for the most part, they probably agree on 98% of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not to be totally one-sided about it. That's what dads want, too. Right, right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like it's... We need to look for the similarities. And another, I was listening to NPR the other morning, and one of the questions they asked, some people there talking to people about the election and how it turned out. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how do we get to the country we want? Like, what do you need to do to get this country to the country it could be? And that personal responsibility. What is my role in yeah. all this? Mm-hmm. What should I do? Yeah. <clears throat> and I can't change things in Washington, D.C. Right? As much as I tweet at our senator and call him spineless and stuff like that, um, I have no influence on him until I vote, right? Mm-hmm. But what I can influence is when I'm with my 12-year-old daughter and we see injustice that we talk about it. Yes. Yep. And that's the change that has to happen. Is we cannot we can no longer be afraid to have reasonable conversations about tough topics. Yes. Caroline lectures me on that. I have a hard, I have a, I'm a, I have a fear of conflict and uh <laughs> Caroline so has I. no fear. Mike knows I. I Caroline. Caroline drives on conflict. She has conflict I, for in the morning. I'm so afraid of conflict. It's not even funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, Caroline. Like, she has it with her coffee. You know what I mean? Like, she gets up and get energizes her. She's like, oh, there's a fight. I need to go find my way into that one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm with her. Like, I'm a brawler, right? Like, I like to get in and stir it up. But yeah, but it doesn't have to be conflict either. No. Yeah. Like or at least it's going to be bad conflict for sure. It does, like it just has to be like, and you don't have to walk away with agreement. You just yep. have to walk away with understanding. Yeah. If we, if our goal was just to try to understand why people think the way they do, instead of try to change te- their mind, make ourselves feel better by telling them they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. I think it'd be so many things would, 
Well, and I mean, you know, we, we've talked about some myths around science, and a lot of that was because, like you said, there were some bad actors. There were people that, that their motive was not trying to understand what the confusion was or understand what was where, where we could where clarity could be provided. It was, um, I've got my jersey on, you got your jersey on. Let's see who wins this thing. Yep. Well, I know we want to be conscious of your time. We, had, we were gonna have a we were gonna reserve some time to have a big debate about Garth Brooks. Um, I can make that real quick. Yeah, make that, make, you know. <laughs> well, obviously we all, you know, we all loved seeing him um, as a, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it yet, Mike, but the, the inauguration. It was stirring. Stirring, yes. And Garth was great. And Caroline shared this video that was hilarious, but it was like, somebody, it was like a funny one, but it was like every. Every mom in e Nashville. Yeah, every mom in Nashville. And it was like this lady running around. Yeah. It was a fake video, but it was like, did y'all see Garth? Have you oh seen Garth? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, think like. So, asking people at Chick-fil-A drive-thru. <laughs> Have you seen Garth? So I think Garth is a phenomenal entertainer. Yes. And, and he definitely changed um, the trajectory of country music I I struggle with what he brought after him Florida Georgia line <laughs> you know you know uh, Nick you know just like I was listening to his channel today on the deal and he was talking about how good Nickelback is like I can't like how good of a musician are you if you think Nickelback's great? <laughs> yeah, I I'm not. Even, I thought I was gonna have a disagreement with you, Mike, on this because I'm a big Garth Brooks fan. But I'm gonna the way you phrase this, I can't deny that Garth did a, an amazing job, but he paved the way for a lot of people that were not good. <laughs> right, like he's he like he, he's got great songs, right? Like he's got great he's got great songs in his catalog. Right, he's got things that also cross the line into, into pop. Yeah, mm -hmm. yep. But it's all like it's all washed out because he's such a great entertainer, right? Like you can't go to a Garth Brooks show and not be like, "Holy crap!" Right? It's just like I don't necessarily care for Justin Timberlake, but I'd go watch him because he's a great entertainer. Yeah, no, you're right. Right? Like <clears throat> if I'm going to go to a show to listen to music. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go watch Sturgill Simpson. We uh we probably would agree on a lot of this on the, a lot of the like. Are you like a songwriter type person too? Like you like the ones that I mean, if you're if yeah. you're not talking Jason about Jason Isbell, yep, Sturgill Simpson, Cody Jinks, you know. You know what's funny? So you two separately have brought up um, musical uh, rep, like either songs or artists. The same the same songs and artists separately without me telling you know bringing it up with either of you like who well the first one was with garth brooks um mike you know when first time we spoke this week after the inauguration uh i think you said like i was expecting him to sing we shall be free right yeah i even tweeted that yeah what do you so i think you guys asked... are like musical preference yeah, well, soulmates I... and then the other independently of you i told caroline i was like i don't know why people are so shocked that garth brooks saying this i'm like he taught me about social justice back in 92 you know with we shall be free <laughs> and i told caroline that the video to that song is way more powerful than the song i need to go watch the video, watch the, video. the other one was the artist They're probably banned on cmt now what was the artist <laughs> you were telling me about yesterday mike that... steve earl say it steve earl steve earl yeah so, yeah so i think you two are like you know on the same wavelengths 
You need to follow each other on Spotify. Yeah. What was it? Was it Steve Earl's son that died this year? Yeah, Justin Towns. Towns. You're right. Towns. Justin Towns Earl's. Yep. Yeah, I was reading an and article about that. That was pretty sad. And his other son that was born, I don't know, probably 12 years ago now, has autism. So, like, one of the big benefits Steve Earl does is an aut- autism concert in New York. So he's got one song that he's written to his autistic son, and now he's got one song that he's written to his son that died in a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. And and if you listen to both of them back-to-back, I... I cried. I'm going to have like, to do this. I haven't listened to the new one. I, I haven't really listened to Steve Earle that much. I mean, I know who he is, but I was reading about that song. I mean, I, I remember where I was reading about it, but I was reading about the song that he wrote for his late son, uh, Towns. Towns yeah, it's about yeah. the, last word, the last words they said to each other. Yep. I'm going to have mm. to listen to that. Yeah. So we do. We have. So I, I, but I'm not going to disagree with you on Garth Brooks. He, he did pave. He was a good entertainer. He didn't write any of his songs, really. Or not very many of them. Very I don't know if he few. wrote any. Yeah. The first couple of albums, Ty England actually wrote a lot of stuff with him. You know, he plays guitar for Garth. And, and like I said, he's, he's a force to be reckoned with. Um, but he also brought us Florida Georgia Line. Yeah. And, I, and Luke Bryan. But we are thankful for him this week. And his, I mean, I think that's a big move for a country. Everybody's musician. redeemable. And that's right. <laughs> we believe. <laughs> hey, I, we're going to totally forgive him for the Chris Gaines thing altogether now. It's it's water under bridge. I mean, if I was Garth Brooks in 1994, I'd have tried to do an alter ego album just because why not? Yeah, there you go. Um, well, look, I, we, we should be respectful of your time. We've been, I've enjoyed the conversation a lot, especially... Uh, I think there's going to be more down the road. I didn't know... We covered we've covered a lot all, of ground. We've got a lot more to cover, though. Yeah. There's so much, uh, especially around... I mean, just the music alone. We should just do one on that. <laughs> what 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 are you listening to, Blaze and Mike Zwingman? Yeah. I need to, like, get it. I'm just you know listening to me podcast. Let's just start a podcast, you and I. What are you listening <laughs> yeah. to? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I need to get more into that. my friend. I have a friend Tobin who's way better than I am. Like he just knows Tobin's a music. I mean, he plays music anyway and writes his own songs. And he's but I mean not like he doesn't make a living doing that. He just does it for fun. I but, think I've seen his work. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's right. He's the that's actor. Right. He's the actor in the yeah. in the video. In my, in the, fa- in the video in my favorite do. campaign since yeah yeah. Came yeah. Um, but anyway, he is really good about like you know people will post like the best books they read in the year and awesome. He'll post at the end of every year like the best albums of the year and it's the kind of music you would like. It's like the singer songwriter genre, Jason Isbell type stuff. I mean, it's not all that. It, he's got other stuff, but this is all good stuff. Yeah, yeah I would the flip fully side, support like, that. And the flip side, this morning my daughter and I listened to the Descendants, the punk band, oh. all morning long. Okay. Right, like so I'll go from like <laughs> my. My Spotify, actually, I'm more Amazon now because I think their algorithm's a little bit better. But like my Spotify and Amazon like choices, if you if you you're just like wow, what what's this guy doing? Because it's all one more, it's one all more over surprise. the place. Yeah. Yes. No, I think Blaze, I would fully support you letting Mike Zwingman influence your musical selections because. Because of all of the years that Blaze has worked with youth and nonprofits, every time he connects to our car, it's like convention music from 
the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of like playlists that were designed to like, like do training Jim, for high school students. <laughs> Jimmy Eat World and <laughs> The Verve, like every and then every just like time. random like hype music that's like, what is this? Is this Cotton Eye Joe again? What is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like a wedding DJ. My my, my yeah. Spotify playlist sounds like a wedding DJ, but a time the, capsule, the, like yeah. the stuck chicken, in time. The chicken dance. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> but nothing, nothing before 2010, or nothing after 2010, I should say. Nothing after 2010, because that's right. when tell, I stopped doing that. Tell me somewhere in that FFA hype music is John Denver's Country Boy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's on any of the Spotify, but it's still played. It is still... <laughs> in fact, I think there may be a... Spe- I don't know if there's a special dance to that one or not, but there are a is lot it- of them. Does it, and, and my other question is, is Born in the USA something that's played at FFA events? Uh, no, not really. It got replaced with something similar. Um, Lee Greenwood. There's two of them. One is a Bon Jovi song that, that took over for a long time. We Weren't Born to Follow. Got to be a big one. I don't even know what the name of the song is. I'll tell you what really took over FFA, and I, I don't like, I'm not a fan of the song, actually. But it says FFA in it, so it just took over, and it's International Harvester. I don't even know who sings it. I'm a fan of... International Harvesters. I got a dealer sign hanging in my office. I love International Harvester, the... the, the And I'm like, this is the worst representation of country music, of of, of like country (laughs) life ever. No wonder why people in the city hate us. I I know, and and the FFA kids love it because they wait for that moment where he's like, uh, you know, lifetime member of the FFA, he says it in the song, and they like lose their mind over it, you know? Right. Yeah, I found a but, photo of myself the other day that surfaced that the whole like Facebook memories is just like the bane of my existence. And it was a picture of me at a high school homecoming dance. And I had like both of my hands like up in the air, like, like singing at full force. And I looked like I had like maybe just like snorted cocaine. Like I was like outside my mind, but I know that I was like, Pure as can be, 17 years old, and it said in the caption, me when International Harvester comes on. <laughs> it hasn't died yet. It's been still there, so I, just as bad. I forget that I'm this much older than both of you, right? <laughs> well, I'm older than Caroline, so, you know. Yeah. Right. right. But, like, I, I, I have a Spotify playlist that I will definitely send you, Blaze, that is called 90 Songs I Didn't Get to Dance To. <laughs> oh. Oh. It's like every song that's played at my high school dances. And it was originally called the 90 songs I got told no to. And and my best friend, one of my best friends from high school, she and I are still great friends. We sit at, we share Husker football seats, t- season tickets together. And one day we were driving the College World Series. And I used to, every time I'd hear a song and I'd put it on the list, I'd post it to Facebook. We're driving the College World Series because that's what we do for my birthday. So we were driving down the road, and she goes, I, I see you put another song on the list today. And I said, yeah. She goes, I don't know whether to laugh or be sad or what. And I looked at her, and I'm like, well, do you want to know which ones were you? <laughs> <laughs> and she got super uncomfortable, right? Because I did have a crush on her in high school. And then I just started laughing, and I'm like, it's just, like, what it is, it's an archive of, like, those iconic songs that got played at high school dances. Mm-hmm. So, so I grew up in the '90s, right? So it's a lot of hair metal, 
right? Like it's a lot of poison, damn Yankees, stuff like that. And country songs like Colin Baton Rouge. Oh, yeah. All that. And so, but it's just kind of this time capsule, right? Of when I, when I listen to it, it takes me back to, you know, shy Mike Zwingman standing along the wall, not willing to ask anybody to dance, drinking Dr. Pepper, making fun of the guys who are dancing with his friends because, well, we're too shy to ask anybody. Well, we love 90s music, and that sounds like a playlist we need in our lives. We'll dance to it. <laughs> well, I think... We've got, we we could probably talk longer. We're going to have to get you back on again sometime to talk about stuff that's not related to uh, sustainability. But anyway, thanks for making time. Um, I don't know what you got planned the rest of your afternoon. Maybe you have to go back to the shooting range, you know, just to get your practice in. Uh, I, you know. I got cleaning to do from being at the range. Gotcha. Get, get everything cleaned up, put away. Well, you are a treasure, Mike Zwingman, and I am so thankful that I get to work with you every day. Uh, and I was telling Blaze, there are just so many uh, surprising and wonderful elements to who you are, so it's no surprise that we could talk to you all day, and we will definitely have you back sometime. Well, so thank I'm, you. I'm glad for the opportunity to be here, and, and you know, like I say every day, I'm glad you're on my softball team, mm. right? And uh, yeah, I'll come back and we'll have some real fun with other <laughs> topics we look forward to it thank you so much Mike and thanks to all of you for listening to Country and Origin <laughs>